Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, we hope by the grace of God that this talk will be a blessing to you, even as you continue in your fellowship with a local church. Now, of course, if you're not involved in a local church and you'd like to find out more about the various ministries at St Barnabas, then can I encourage you to visit our website, www.sbbc.org.za and if you'd like someone from the church to contact you then uh, you can use the contact tab on our homepage to leave your contact details. Well on this Good Friday morning we come to our second study in our Easter series and uh, as we begin can I invite you to open your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 19 and I'm going to be reading from verse 16 Gospel of John chapter 19 beginning at verse 16 Finally Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head 
and gave up his spirit. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take my words in all their imperfection and that you would use them to unfold the written word and so lead us to the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now many people give up certain things during Lent. For some people it might be chocolate, uh, or maybe alcohol, or maybe television. But uh, we never imagined that this year we would have to give up each other. That we would have to distance ourselves from those we love. That we wouldn't even be able to go to church. For the Christian, uh, Easter week without church is almost unthinkable. And yet here we all are, locked down at home, isolated from one another. The last time anything like this happened in the church was more than 800 years ago. So no one alive today can tell us how to sustain our spiritual lives when we're on our own at Easter. But consider this. As Christians, we follow a saviour who died alone. At the start of Holy Week, he was the most popular person in Jerusalem. But on that first Good Friday, the crowds turned against him. His friends deserted him. He died alone. And amongst all the many questions people are asking at this critical time, at least one of them ought to be, are we any different to the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? You see, whilst Easter is the most important weekend in the Christian calendar, in recent years, most churches in our city have been half empty. For most people, Easter is just another public holiday. Many Christians go away, Some churches don't even have a Good Friday service. So, my friends, is it possible that we've lost the message of the cross? Is it possible that we're so familiar with the cross that we've moved away from it? Well, today, in our enforced isolation, the Apostle John is here to help us. Because in these chapters of his Gospel... John is inviting you and I to think about the cross of Jesus personally. And the question that John is asking is what does the cross of Jesus mean for you? When you read this, do you feel anything? How do you respond to it? And to wake us up, John gives us four perspectives on the crucifixion. And when we put these four perspectives together, it's impossible for us to sit on the fence, to ignore it. We can't avoid deciding what the cross means for us. What then are these four perspectives? 
The first thing John shows us is that Jesus was crucified as a criminal. He was crucified as a criminal. And here we're looking at verses 16 to 18. In verse 16 we read, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Now immediately we're faced with a problem. Because when he was arrested, Jesus proved that any number of soldiers were no match for him. He simply spoke a word and 600 heavily armed men fell powerless at his feet. And when we looked at that passage, we said that this was no surprise because in John's presentation we've been shown that in every respect Jesus is God. In him was life, says John. The only reason these soldiers were even breathing was because Jesus had given them life. But now Jesus allows the soldiers to take charge of him. What follows is an even bigger surprise because John says that Jesus carried his own cross. Now it was the Roman custom that condemned criminals should carry their cross to the place of execution. It was part of their public humiliation. And yet in the passage immediately before this John shows us that the most senior legal opinion has already said that Jesus was innocent. Pilate, the Roman governor, could find no basis for a charge against him. And yet, yet here we see Jesus carrying his own cross as a condemned criminal. And then John gives us an important insight into the depth of Jesus' humiliation. Because in verse 17 he says that Jesus went out, meaning that he went outside the walls of Jerusalem. You see, the religious leaders considered Jesus to be too unclean to be crucified inside the holy city, especially during the Passover festival. Now I guess you could look at that and say, well it's terribly sad, but is it actually any more than a gross miscarriage of justice? Does it have anything to say to us? Well to find the answer to that question, please keep a finger in John 19 and turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Now whilst you're turning there, I should say that in the Old Testament God gave detailed instructions for the way that sin was to be dealt with amongst his people. He said that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, a bull and a goat would be sacrificed and the high priest was to take their blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the ark. And the bodies of the sacrificed animals would then be burned outside the camp. That was God's command. Now this is Hebrews' explanation as to what that ritual was really all about. Hebrews chapter 13, reading from verse 11. 
The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore for here we do not have an enduring city but we're looking for the city that is to come. Now in that passage Hebrews is teaching us two things. First, if you are not yet a Christian know this. Whatever you've done however terrible whatever you think you deserve from God for your past life Jesus can make you fit to stand without shame in the presence of God he can make you holy through his blood now that of course is an extraordinary thought and if you've never thought about it before it'll certainly take you the rest of your life to understand it But as you read that Jesus went outside the city to be crucified, you're meant to realise that Jesus has suffered the ultimate disgrace for you. So the key question must be, what are you going to do with that? Second, if you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, then notice the command in verse 13. Let us, Christians, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Now some of us never seem to get beyond talking about sharing the message of Easter. We know that Jesus expects us to do it, but so often the fear of the damage that it might do to our reputation gets in the way. The disgrace is too much for us. But you see, if I allow that to become a permanent obstacle, if I never get beyond uh, thinking about sharing the gospel, well then perhaps I've never really understood that the disgrace and the humiliation that Jesus suffered was actually mine. So that's the first thing that John wants us to see this morning. Jesus was crucified as a criminal in our place. Now come back to John chapter 19 because the second perspective that John puts before us is that Jesus was crucified as a king. He was crucified as a king. And here we're in verses 19 to 22. Verse 19 Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. Now John doesn't tell us what Pilate's motive was for doing this and it certainly provoked an angry response from the Jewish religious authorities. Maybe that was Pilate's intention all along, we don't know. But this is actually an example 
of something that we find in other places in John's book because John sometimes shows us a person in authority who is actually hostile to the things of God but he shows them speaking on God's behalf without even realising that's what they're doing now that's what Pilate was doing here the Gospels consistently present Jesus as a king Uh, Matthew for example tells us in his Gospel that when Jesus was born the wise men came and they said where is the one who's been born king of the Jews then again barely a week before his death when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday the people hailed him as the king of Israel John chapter 12 verse 13 and when he was being cross-examined by Pilate Jesus himself said you are right in saying I am a king John 18 verse 37 but the problem is that in this passage Jesus doesn't look like a king at all he's been flogged he's been beaten he's had a crown of thorns pressed down on his head his body is bloody and bruised and then he's nailed to this cross the most shameful form of execution in the ancient world kings are not meant to die like this so God you see works through Pilate's sign to remind us who it is that's hanging there and to make absolutely certain that no one can miss it the sign is translated into Aramaic it says in our translation but in the original it's Hebrew the sign is translated into Hebrew Latin and Greek and the point is that everybody in Jerusalem could speak one or more of those languages now whatever Pilate meant by this sign we know what God means because this is a proclamation of the gospel to all people everywhere this king dies to bring men and women back into God's family and the question that God is asking through Pilate's sign is have you ever crowned Jesus as king in your life now you might say to yourself well what on earth does that mean how do I crown Jesus as king well think for a moment about those languages on Pilate's sign because together they represented all the important sectors of human experience so Hebrew was the language of religion in the first century men and women were just as desperate in their search for truth as many people are today but then as now the religious world was a sort of chaotic jungle of many different spiritual beliefs but Jesus said he alone is the truth and King Jesus calls out from the cross to all of the lost millions following their empty gods and he offers them what no other religion can ever offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who bow before him 
and accept his death in their place. Now that, you see, is how you crown Jesus as king in your life. Have you done it? What about the other two languages? Well, Latin was the language of government, law and business. And today, in most parts of the world, uh, the church seems to have withdrawn from the world of business and politics. Now, that is a shame, because Jesus Christ claims that world as his own as well. And through the lives of those who've surrendered to his kingship, who commit themselves to obeying him, Jesus brings the salt and light of the gospel to every area of public life. And then Greek. Greek was the language of culture. Uh, the Greeks were famous for their pursuit of beauty in thought, in literature and in art. And the world of culture is a world that Christ claims just like every other area of life. And one writer says this, Human creativity is the gift of him who made all things. If creative gifts and instincts are brought to his feet, Jesus will enrich them and make them the vehicle of his praise. Now I'd like to share an example of that with you now. So hopefully on the screen, but if not on the reverse of the question sheet, you'll find a copy of a painting by a man called Holman Hunt. Uh, Hunt was a Christian, and uh, his painting is a terrific example of just what we're talking about. It shows Jesus working in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth before he began his public ministry. He's been sawing wood, and he's stretching out his arms, I suppose, to relax his muscles. And the shadow of his outstretched arms falls on a wooden rack at the back of the shop, creating a shadow of death, which is actually the title of the painting. But the real stroke of genius in the painting is that Mary is seen to be gazing up at the shadow whilst her hands are in a box. And if you look carefully, you can see that in the box are the gifts that the wise men bought when they came to worship King Jesus. Now you see, Holman Hunt realised that we're never going to understand the meaning of the cross unless we see it as the place where Jesus was crucified as our King. Now if that's a new thought for you this morning, I want to encourage you to ask God to open your eyes so that you can see Jesus the King on the cross for you. Well then the third perspective that John shows us is that Jesus was crucified as a man. Crucified as a man. Verses 23 to 27. Now at first sight I think it seems rather odd that John would give so much space 
to uh, talking about the division of Jesus' clothing. It seems a rather insignificant detail. What's the point? Well, in verse 24, uh, John gives us an important clue which opens up, I think, a unique and vital perspective on the death of Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 24. John says, This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments amongst them and cast lots for my clothing. And you'll notice at the bottom of the page there's a footnote which tells us that that is a quotation from Psalm 22. And I'd like you please to keep a finger in John 19 and come with me to Psalm 22 now. Psalm 22 uh, is a prayer written by King David about a thousand years before Jesus was born. The very first verse gives us the context. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Now the other Gospel writers tell us that verse 1 was shouted by Jesus from the cross. And there's a great deal we could say about that. But this morning I'd like please to focus on uh, where the prayer continues from verse 15. Please come to verse 15. David says, My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments amongst them and cast lots for my clothing. Now friends, wherever you stand on Christian things this morning, it is surely astonishing, isn't it, to find such an amazingly detailed description of Jesus' experience on the cross written a thousand years before it happened. So notice, please, the man's terrible thirst and the approach of death in verse 15. Then in verse 16, there are his pierced hands and feet and the stares of hostile onlookers as he feels his bones racked with pain in verse 17. And then in verse 18, there is the division of his garments by lot. Now you see, that is a crucial insight into what Jesus was going through as he hung there on the cross. And it's important because we can so easily be duped into thinking that because Jesus is God, he didn't really suffer. But the psalm shows us the agonies of Jesus as he died in three ways. First, Jesus suffered greater spiritual agony than any of us will ever have to experience. His fellowship with the Father had never been broken before, but here the Father turns his face away. Then second, he suffered the appalling physical agony that accompanies crucifixion. Terrible thirst, 
every bone racked with pain and Jesus wasn't immune from any of that excruciating torment and thirdly he suffered the emotional agony of being despised and hated by the very people he'd come to save well keep that in your mind as we come back to John 19 because here we find something truly remarkable you see to you and me it's inconceivable isn't it that in the face of such suffering that Jesus could be thinking about anybody else apart from himself but look at verse 26 when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother dear woman here is your son and to the disciple here is your mother from that time on this disciple took her into his home notice there that Jesus addresses Mary as dear woman and not dear mother there's no special relationship in the kingdom of God Mary is no different to anyone else she is a dear woman to Jesus and she has to follow Jesus as her saviour and lord just like the rest of us but in the midst of his own suffering Jesus provides for Mary for the rest of her earthly life can you see the love and the concern in that in uh, 1995 the late Princess Diana gave an interview on television uh, at that point her marriage was in tatters and uh, she said in the interview the greatest disease in the world is the disease of being unloved no doubt she was right but you see the cross of Jesus Christ tells us that that is a disease from which none of us needs to suffer because at the heart of the universe is someone who knows all our pain and sorrow and who experienced the very worst of it himself and he loves us with an everlasting care that exactly matches our every need Jesus was crucified as a man and then lastly Jesus was crucified as a saviour verses 28 to 30 verse 28 later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled Jesus said I am thirsty now his thirst is a really important detail because elsewhere the, the Bible represents the, the torments of hell as a violent thirst and the point is that everyone who doesn't know Jesus personally is spiritually thirsty and that thirst just goes on growing and becoming more and more violent until hell itself becomes an experience of insatiable thirst that never ends but you see on the cross Jesus was thirsty so that we might never thirst do you remember he spoke to the woman at the well and he said 
whoever drinks the water I give him will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life now friends that's what happens to us when we surrender our lives to Jesus he satisfies our spiritual thirst and he goes on doing that every day until we stand in his presence and then finally just before he dies Jesus says in verse 30 it is finished just one word actually in the original and Jesus doesn't say it quietly under his breath he shouts it out now what does he mean what has he finished well at the very beginning of the gospel John tells us that Jesus had a very clear and straightforward mission it was to make God known John chapter 1 verse 18 now that was a mission that only he could fulfil how did he do it was it perhaps through his teaching well his teaching certainly pulled in the crowds and people of course have been treasuring the teaching of Jesus ever since but the Bible gives us many other fine teachers including Paul and Peter and others didn't they also make God known through their teaching well yes they did so surely John is talking about something else did Jesus perhaps make God known through his miracles well again Jesus did many amazing miracles and more often than not people came to him for his miracles rather than the teaching but in the early church the apostles also performed many miracles they healed the sick they raised the dead so again that can't be the complete answer now the complete answer is that Jesus makes God known to the world as he hangs on a cross with arms outstretched inviting everyone to be reconciled to God it is actually the perfect picture of God's love for all humanity God wants us to be reconciled to him and in the death of Jesus he's done everything necessary for that to happen so when Jesus shouts out it is finished he's saying this he's saying now as I die bearing all of God's wrath against every sin I have finished the job of making God known and God is reconciled to everyone who accepts my death in their place now friends that means there's absolutely nothing that we can add to what Jesus did on the cross on that first Good Friday and all that's left for us to do is to come to him this morning and say thank you Lord Jesus you did it for me well let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for giving up your son to death on a cross in our place because of his death we have a new family new life and new hope please help us to live in the power of this new life 
and to go out of our way to share the good news of Good Friday with others. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.